Hi, and welcome to Work Together, a podcast brought to you by Social Optic. In this podcast series, we ask experts in their field for their views, thoughts, and advice on topics ranging from technology and data science to organizational culture and psychology. Roll intro. On today's episode, we'll be looking at the topic of social value, leadership, and decision-making. Joining Benjamin Ellis is Chris Satraconye, Chief Executive at Social Value UK and an academic teaching leadership at Manchester University. Chris explores different perspectives on value generated by organisations, turning some traditional ideas on their heads. We also discuss approaches to leadership and how the process of measurement exposes priorities and leads to better decision-making. We even touch on a bit of philosophy. Let's dive in. Measurement is hard. You know, yes, we can take the easy route and just draw a box around things and say, oh, here goes your your answer. But if you don't take care of the complexity, if you don't take care of the perspective, then you come up with a, a response or an answer which you think, well, here's an answer. But how useful is that answer? Can you really make decisions based on that answer or are you just going ahead and producing some figures because you have to? So measurement becomes really important and understanding how difficult it is to measure means that getting involved or understanding the process of measurement itself is already a win because now the process enables you to start questioning those little assumptions. Why are we doing that? Why are we speaking to that person? Why have we invited that person? Those little questions and answers help us to make sense of the measurement. So it's not just the final number that you get in the end, but also the process that you go through in measuring it. So welcome to the Work Together podcast. I'm very excited about today's guest. We're going to cover a few different topics, I think, in the course of this, and that will unfold as we talk. But first of all, Chris, let me let you introduce yourself to our listeners so they know who you are. Thank you, Benjamin. I'm Chris Sachukonye. I'm a chief executive at Social Value UK. I'm also an academic, so I teach leadership at the University of Manchester. So those are the two halves of things that we're going to go into today. And for me, I'm particularly interested about the intersection of the two things. So I think we should start with the social value piece, because I know that for some people, that's going to be a very familiar term. They know exactly what that is. For a bunch of other people, they're like, what social value? What What's that? What does that mean? Um, so can you set a bit of context around what is social value kind of how did that emerge and what does that mean today and particularly in the kind of business context yeah no thanks benjamin well for a long time the way we understood organizations and the purpose of organizations is that they created value for their key stakeholders and back then the key stakeholder was the shareholder so we spent all our life trying to understand how organizations can create value for shareholders But over the years, particularly throughout the 20th century, there was a shift. The shift led us to understand that behind the organization is not just the shareholder, but there are other stakeholders who are just as important. Initially, this started off as just looking at staff, saying, what can we do for our staff? Because when we consider our staff's needs, we do better as an organization. We went beyond staff to suppliers and then to the wider community. So we're at the stage now 
where there's a general understanding and agreement that an organization has multiple stakeholders. And for each of these, we need to create some kind of value. So social value tries to capture beyond the finances what organizations deliver for the rest of their stakeholders. So that's how social value has come about. And at Social Value UK, we've taken a particular approach to this because there are multiple approaches to understanding value. We've said that value is only really significant when it is understood and measured from the perspective of the stakeholders who experience it. So rather than an organization saying, hey, I've just created all this value, if that value is not relevant to what the stakeholders needs, then it isn't really useful for society. So our view of social value is that it is the value that we create when it's measured and considered from the perspective of the stakeholders. So that's social value up to now, and it continues to emerge. There are various methods, approaches, ways of measuring it. And we at Social Value, we're a broad church. We welcome all these different ideas. However, we say that as long as you adhere to a set of principles, which begins with us understanding who our stakeholders are and involving them, and takes us through a process of being transparent and measurement, and then making decisions that are good for those stakeholders, then we'll be living in the same church in a happy way. So I think for people who are familiar with social optic, they'll be listening to that and hearing lots of words there. They're like, oh, those those are things that social optic talks about quite a lot. So for for me and for us as an organization, it was very interesting encountering a different perspective with a very similar uh, philosophy. So in the you know in the broader context, it's been interesting in the UK, for example, in you know, even in the last year, going back to the Companies Act and people re-looking at what the Act actually said in terms of directors have a legal responsibility to give due consideration to the different stakeholders. And, and implicit in that is understanding from their perspective, the value from their perspective. So it's interesting that this is something that's always been there as a requirement. Like even that name, a company, it's like, it's a collection of people um, that got lost somewhere along the way that we're coming back round to. And it's now how to you incorporate that into the practice of running an organization. And I think that's what a lot of people have struggled with because organizations are so measurement driven that it's like, how do, how do I take this and sit this alongside profit and have these things be able to have a conversation with each other? And whilst at the you know, one end of that, we've got CICs and kind of company structures, you know, for us as an organization, for example, it's like, how do we do that in the context of a, a privately held uh, business. We want to do that. We didn't need to change our legal structure for that, but we want to make it part of our operating principles. And so it's been very, very useful to have a, an approach to that and to learn off of best practice from, from a community that is is out there. Um, I would also just add to that, and I think this is where the intersection with the academic side is. Um, I do quite a lot of research around leadership I'm particularly interested in ethical leadership and responsible leadership. So then addressing the question of how do we go about and do certain things and how do we integrate this, it actually begins with the leadership understanding what their responsibilities and obligations are. Now, for some people, those responsibilities and obligations are things they've grown up with and they just understand. And for others, as the world is changing, 
we're having to learn. So I'm fortunate to be able to teach a range of people uh, from undergrads through to postmasters kind of level. And you notice a difference in the different groups of people. The younger people that uh, we work with have more of a sense of responsibility and obligation that is embedded in them. So there's less convincing to do. They're not set in a particular paradigm. They're more open to understanding that the environment is important and that social value is important. For others, it's a bit of a journey and we're at different stages of our journey. And I think the work that you and I have, Benjamin, is to help people along that journey so that this becomes embedded in their uh, decisions, in their lifestyles, and in their organization. And it means then that we start looking at value not just from an economic perspective, but to say, what else are we creating for stakeholders that they would really appreciate? And for me, one of the interesting things about measurement that people often don't realize when they start on that journey is that it surfaces what your values are because as soon as you start to measure things like we want to do y well that's that's great and we're going to measure it by measuring x then suddenly you start to have this conversation around well what is that is that measuring that thing and you start to surface that actually whilst people might be using the the same words and looking for what sounds like the same impact as you pick it apart they're coming at that with very different philosophies and very different understandings of how they perceive the world to work. And that, and unless you can resolve that, that creates conflict and, and friction in the organization. So it is interesting that, and again, I'm not uh, not a big subscriber to generational differences. However, one thing is is very definite is that people have been educated differently. I went, you know, when I went through school, um, the human genome hadn't been sequenced. I mean, there, there's so much things that are just now taken for granted. Um, and, and we maybe did a bit about the environment, but not much compared to, you know, looking at my children's generation being educated, that understanding the environment is embedded into their education, is, is built into the philosophy of how they see the world. And there is quite a difference in perspective there. But actually, there are there are many perspectives yeah. beyond that as well. So how, how do you approach that discussion because for lots of leaders they're not necessarily aware that they are approaching things in a way that is completely philosophically different than perhaps either their peers or people working in their organization yeah so there's a process where uh, many of us need to unthink i mean if i take your your point that you made, Benjamin, that how we've been educated or socialized, I suppose it's important because that's how we become and we behave. So at some point, we probably need to unthink and get ourselves to the point where we're open to completely new perspectives. If the dominant paradigm has been that the organization and the shareholder is the most important thing ever, we need to get to a point where we realize that maybe that isn't the best way forward because this is where it's got us. And when I say this is where it's got us, it's like we look around and we look at well-being, we look at people sleeping on the streets, we look at issues to do with healthcare. And just in the UK right now, there's a lot that's actually happening. If this is where we've got to with that particular model, perhaps it's time to open up our minds to alternative ways of looking at things. And the point you make about measurement becomes so important because it isn't just what you're measuring, but from what perspective you're measuring that from. If I measure it from the point of the organization and I tick and I say, yes, we have done a great thing. Look what we have done. 
that is a very different perspective to the one to say, well, let us ask the people how we have done. And that then brings in a question of power and how power is changing or should be changing from residing within the organization to residing with the stakeholders who are affected by what organizations does, organizations do. So as you said, how you measure says a lot about you. And it also says about your ideas around power. Are you interested in power over the community, power over stakeholders? Are you interested in power with them, sharing with them or something else? And that becomes a very important part of the equation of who you are and how you deliver value to society. It's interesting if kind of picking from um, recent business history and one of the recurrent themes in the UK, for example, is around employee productivity and that being learned and then um, in other countries and, and generally people looking at employee productivity, which sounds like a very, you know, it's a very business metric but actually it comes back to engagement, which comes back to do people feel like they are on the same journey as a leadership and do they have autonomy and a clear understanding of the purpose? And again, you know, people talked about empowering employees was a, was a phrase a, a few years back. And it's interesting. Like, okay, good. You've understood that bit. The consequence of that is that that's a change for how leaders approach something. You don't get to have that bit without doing this other bit. And that could be really challenging for leaders because it, you're, you're kind of saying everything that you know and understand, uh, put that to one side for a minute. And here's another way of looking at that. So how, how do you help people explore that journey as a leadership team? Yeah. One of the things that we found really useful is to ask people to look at the very basic assumptions behind what they do. So if we go back to that philosophy piece, uh, I think uh, Descartes had this idea that, you know, I think therefore I am. In other words, as an individual, I'm complete and I exist just because I can think. So it's very individualistic. It's about me. There's an alternative way of looking at it. And these alternative ways, by the way, are right across the world. The one that I'm particularly interested in is the African philosophy of Ubuntu. And Rather than I think, therefore I am, it's like I am because we are. In other words, because the community gives me permission to be, then I exist. Without the community, I don't exist. So there's a strong interconnection between the individual and the community as the community gives the individual the permission and right and privilege to act. In response or in return for those rights and privileges, the individual then has obligations and responsibility to those communities. So that interconnection becomes the source of the leadership's authority and legitimacy and allows them to be able to work. So by considering those basic assumptions to say, well, what, what is underlying the different ideas or actions that you're taking? Is it one that is based on a more individualistic piece or is it one that is based on a broader piece? Now, the broader piece is really interesting to us at Social Value because we say that for a sustainable future, for our kids, for, for, for future generations, there is an acknowledgement that there are interconnections. In other words, I cannot exist in isolation. What I do is likely to have an impact on future generations. So understanding that and really, you know, I'm thinking where we're at and understanding that 
allows us then to say, well, perhaps there's a new way of leadership, which takes into account the obligations and responsibilities to families, to communities, and to broader society. And then through that lens, understand that broader society has a relationship with a wider environment. And so that's the process that we kind of like encourage. Go back and think of the very basics to say, what is it and what is the reasoning for this? And then be able to build your leadership practice on the basis of that alternative philosophy. And for me, that was one of the things that really attracted me to the Social Value UK approach is that you know, there, there are some approaches out there which are a little bit more like this. It's like you've got this commercial operating model that you've had as an organization for 50 years and you want to get a paintbrush out and and paint some sustainability on the, on the outside. And, and you might do that in the most sincere, robust way that you can about putting processes on and measuring those things. But fundamentally, you're building out from a structure which is about consuming things in an unsustainable way, um, which, yeah, the, the Ubuntu approach is, is, is the opposite. The sustainability is built into that. It's an inherent assumption that, you, that there is no other way to do things other than one that is sustainable. The the irony in that is that if you look at anything about high-performance teams, high-performance organizations from the last few decades, it is this thing of undoing this assumption that an organization is a set of individ individuals, independent actors, um, and it's about how you put team success above individual success, how you put success of the ecosystem above it. And again, even in Silicon Valley models, which I think historically perhaps are not assumed to be the most um, you know, kind of sustainable, that actually a lot of those propositions were actually about building communities, sustainable communities around the organization. When you came, you know, if you look at a software company, the most successful software companies, what they've actually done, you take something like Microsoft, is that there is a community of people creating things with their tools that Microsoft is in, inherently dependent on. In its own right, it actually can't really do a lot. I mean, it you know, computes with a basic operating system. Great, I've got a calculator. I actually need this ecosystem around it and to sustain that ecosystem, which is competing for the same resources because I might buy a Microsoft tool, I might buy a social optic tool. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that none of this is new. It's just a realization that actually we've been doing close to the right things, but in a very wrong way. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and one of the things that's important uh, around what you're saying is understanding that it's no longer okay just to draw those boundaries, that there's complexity. By complexity, we're saying here that things are interlinked. There are multiple layers and levels, and human beings are not as predictable as we make them out to be. There's no basic rationality that we all subscribe to. And so understanding that things are complex means that, yes, at Microsoft, you've got to understand that the inputs for the work that you do are coming from communities that are raised by other people, that governments contribute, that other communities have made some significant contributions to, and saying that it isn't just my work, my world. I haven't just existed and done because I have thought. There's been a broad contribution from across the world that has led to this. So that complexity is hard. And that leads me back to the point you mentioned earlier about measurement. Measurement is hard. You know, yes, we can take the easy route and just draw a box around things and say, oh, here goes your, your answer. But if you don't take care of the complexity, if you don't take care of the perspective, then you come up with 
a, a response or an answer which you think, well, here's an answer, but how useful is that answer? Can you really make decisions based on that answer or are you just going ahead and producing some figures because you have to? So measurement becomes really important and understanding how difficult it is to measure means that getting involved or understanding the process of measurement itself is already a win because now the process enables you to start questioning those little assumptions. Why are we doing that? Why are we speaking to that person? Why have we invited that person? Those little questions and answers help us to make sense of the measurement. So it's not just the final number that you get in the end, but also the process that you go through in measuring it. And yeah, measurement is one of our great passions here at Social Optic. And one of the things about once you've got to the, pe- the point of helping people understand that measurement can be beneficial, because lots of people have had quite you know, bad experiences with measurement. Um, so people get to point, okay, this can be helpful. If we measure the right things, it will help inform our decision-making. There's an- another piece that we then have to do in terms of unpicking some things and unlearning, which is that for, for most people who've, who've been through business school, who've been through... Um, the education system they're trained in a very kind of very scientific method of measurement which embedded in it has this idea of relatively simple on understandable direct cause and effect and of course the real world doesn't work like that as you and i know so and i i know that in in the approaches around social value inherently you've got to embrace that complexity because you're not pulling all the levers it's not a measurement in a closed system you're one of a number of players your your policy change intersects with economic changes and all sorts of other things so speak speak to us a little bit more about what how how do you measure in a complex world because a lot of people look at it and go oh this is too hard i give up Yeah. On the academic side of measurement, there's a group of uh, research. There's several groups. Uh, one of them, one of these groups is called the Scientific Realist Community. And they've come up with an approach to measurement that allows people to come up with some initial ideas about why something happens and then to test those ideas. But the focus of their measurement is not so much just on the output or even the outcome. It is on identifying those things that make those outcomes possible. So those mechanisms that underpin that, understanding what those mechanisms are, how they work, in what context that they work, makes it then easier for people to understand. So part of the role of measurement is understanding. And it is with that understanding that we can make better decisions. In the more practice world, so unless the academic world, there are various versions of that. But the important thing there, again, is to say that they're based on bringing better understanding rather than just a number at the end of uh, the measurement. Because that understanding is what, for example, if we know that trust builds in this particular way, this is how trust works in this particular organization. Understanding that enables us to know that we can build more trust if we do this, or we can reduce trust if we do this. And so the point of measurement is understanding what those mechanisms are so that you can influence your organization rather than take a historical say, okay, last year we did that. Yes, that's fine. But last year's number does not guarantee or predict 
the future. There's one um, uh, researcher and philosopher that I really enjoy reading, a guy called um, Nicholas Taleb. He he wrote about the, the, the black swan and how these events that we just cannot predict. And part of his argument is that you cannot predict the future to the extent that we've been going about doing it. And so whilst understanding past performance from a numerical outputs perspective is great, it is only part of what you need to do because you now need to figure out what to do in the future by understanding things like those mechanisms. So it is important to measure, to get an output, but it is also to understand, to evaluate, to see what is really going on under there. That's interesting layering of measurement, isn't it? And, and we're very big on closed loop processes as well. So that thing of we're going to do this thing, we're going to look at the measure, did what we thought would happen, happen or not. And sometimes it's like, well, actually our, our hypothesis or our ontology, our, our belief about how the world worked was actually forward. And now we can see that. And it is that understanding um, where people have been on that journey for a long while in terms of understanding their organization with good measurement. They have a, such a deep understanding of their organization that when to the, the type of thing, when those very low probability, very high impact events happen, what actually happens is, I know my people, this is what's going to happen. And as, as a leader, although it's very grounded in those numbers, actually what emerges is this, you know, this that wisdom level of, well, actually, our people will be okay with this, or actually what we need to do in this situation is is this, and they can step ahead of the measures, still use those measures to understand, let's check that's actually what happened. But through that persistent measurement, they've explored and understood how this system works that they are responsible for, and, and they become very confident leaders as well. It's quite interesting to watch people in that journey from People being really nervous to measure things is something that we notice a lot. Yeah, you know, it's because as a leader, it's like, what if I measure something? You can see if this succeeds or fails, and therefore, yeah, you know, I'm going to be judged. And it's a brave person to stick their head above the parapet. But it's also that thing of no, actually, it's a discovery. It's 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 not not a measure of your performance. It's a measure of what happened in the system, and that's very different from a judgment around was it success or failure. And again, people are very. Uh, hung up on those things and success or failure is very much uh, well how big a time window do you want to take because you know, if you want to take a uh, 100 years then success or failure for most businesses there's one answer to where that goes um, but it is about yeah adapting to what is around you which means fundamentally understanding what is around you yeah, yeah. coming back to that leadership philosophy and how do you start to build that map of well okay if i'm a leader i'm going to embrace this approach i am because we are who's the we um who, do, who should i be thinking about because uh that can become overwhelming as well because you get as a, as a leader of a large organization this group says we should be thinking about these people and we should be thinking about this thing and we should be thinking about these people and we should be thinking about this thing over here that you've never heard how do how do you start on that journey in terms of taking a broader view of who are the stakeholders? Who are your people? Yeah, and that, that's a really important question, Benjamin, because you can get lost in the sea of stakeholders and because everybody is interconnected with everybody else, it might feel like this is insurmountable. So what we encourage is that you do need to find a way of mapping your stakeholders somehow. You have that initial idea 
hypothesis to say these are the people who my business interacts with and affects. And then you say, who are those that are most materially affected by what we do? And you be pragmatic and say, well, from this particular day, this is what I can afford to do. If you're a large organization and you're going to make a really big decision that's going to cost a lot of money and likely to impact a lot of people, you should spend more on that process of understanding those stakeholders and doing those measurements. If you're a smaller organization, you can, like if you're a small charity with a turnover of, say, you know, less than 50,000, just bring people into a room, your users, your staff, and just have a discussion. And in that discussion, you will find that the stakeholders that are important and materially affected will surface. Once they've surfaced, the idea then is to give them a voice. Either invite them for something a little bit more um, intense or formal so that you can really get to understand what they're about. And this is something you can usually do by yourself. But we always say, if you can find uh, some someone with some experience in, in, in measurement or research, someone with some experience in stakeholder engagement, work with them because they will help you to have the kind of conversations that can reveal what pressures the stakeholders are experiencing. Because sometimes we've got our own biases and we walk into a room, if it is my organization, I might be wanting to find out things from my organization's perspective. But by having a third party who's maybe independent of us all, they can help with that particular process, particularly if those decisions are going to affect a wide number, a wide range of people. So it is getting those people into a room and trying to figure out who are the ones who are most affected by the decisions that we're making. And this is slightly different to some of the stakeholder mapping theories that are there, which talks about, you know, how important uh, a stakeholder is. Importance is redefined here because remember the power relationship is being changed. It's about who are those who are most likely to be affected by our decisions, even if they have got no voice. Yeah, so it's it is about who they are and also the the, the issues that they might be pr- presenting there, and that gives you as as a leadership and for for management that gives you a trail that you can follow and it's a question that you can answer, and and going back to one of the other things there about answers, a, an interesting thing that we've observed, and and I'll sidestep into a, a different domain to, for this one, which is there's a science fiction author, I think it's William Gibson, and he had this phrase, which is, the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed. And and the root of that phrase, the explanation was, um, and I, I, the one I remember most was actually Steven Spielberg, when I think he was making Minority Report, he wanted all these futuristic ideas to put into his, his movie. And all he did was, or with his his team, was to go out to all the different research labs and say, show me what you've got. And he went to Microsoft, and at the time, I think they had early prototypes of HoloLens and all these different places. So all the things he put in the movie, there was nothing there that he actually came up with. All those futuristic things already existed. They just hadn't become widely adopted. And there's a parallel with that in organizations, that if you ask all of the people, if you get them together, somebody actually knows the answer already. And sometimes a lot of people know the answer. And and one of the things for us is is an approach for doing strategy. Sometimes leadership teams are really stuck. What should our strategy be? And it's it's you know that's a hard, uh, high, highly judged thing. It's interesting that you go down to the organization and say, well who who should we be caring about? Who should we be putting first? What are the changes that we should make? 
the answers emerge from those discussions because people know because they see what the impacts are they see what's been changed they see what is working well what's not working well they feel the energy of what they enjoy what they don't enjoy those answers are all there it's it's a pause and a listen um yeah you've You've hired a consulting base already. You've all all these smart people you hired. It's like the answers are there. You just need to create a structure to to bring that back. Yeah. And, when I speak, Benjamin, when I speak to to others, I I, I often explain that um, being a leader does not mean that you lead every conversation and you come up with all the answers. Leadership is more about making sense of things. So when you bring people into a room. All those different ideas will be there. Those stakeholders, users, they know stuff. And for the organization that you're leading, if you can make sense of that, say, well, what does this mean for the organization? What does it mean for them? You reflect. And in that reflection process, you make sense and you learn or you help the organization to learn from what you've just heard. So there are various reflective uh, practices and uh, models for reflection. If you if if you use any of those uh, after engaging with stakeholders, there's a lot to learn from what those stakeholders are bring bringing in, and that helps you to make sense of things in a way that can then benefit everybody, including those who've who've done um, who've come and, and joined you. I often laugh. Sometimes people say, "Well." If you ask people, well, I'm not sure people will really understand or they don't know. And I often say, well, I'm one of those stakeholders. I'm one of those customers. You're probably one of those. So are you saying that if people came to ask you, you wouldn't know? So why do you keep thinking people don't know? Because we are the people kind of thing. So it is challenging that mindset that the that privileges the organization or you know some some expert in terms of knowledge and saying, no, other people have that knowledge too. That's interesting, embedded in lots of management frameworks, is that thing of it's not reasonable to expect that the people impacted can articulate the solution to the problem, but they can sure articulate the problem and take you to it and show you it. And that is then the the piece that you bring the the insights to. Um, And yeah, it's that asking. You're reminding me of another phrase that 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 floats around here a lot, which is always a hard thing for me, which is good leaders speak last. <laughs> I, I agree. And and part of that uh, I suppose that phrase or what it's saying there is what we try to capture with our principles. And we say, start off with the stakeholders, involve them, listen to them. Once you've listened, then go about with your measurements and your decisions so that you can then benefit wider society because then the decisions you're making are informed by everybody else rather than just what you thought was the best thing. And it's interesting how the other things then fall into line because of this, the fact that these are interconnected systems as you tend to that broader community it improves the engagement with the customer base, which sorts out the bottom line, which makes your shareholders happy. So these are not either or choices. It's just a different approach to achieving the same output of building a, you know, an organization that makes a difference and is, and is van- inherently valuable. Yeah. Here in the UK, it has become really important to sort out the social side. You mentioned earlier, Benjamin, about the Social Value Act. The impact of that act and 
the procurement policies and bills around that are that the biggest uh, procurement bodies, which is the local government and government, insist that a percentage of the work that you do must be generating that social value. In the NHS, they have a slightly different term that they use, but they insist that their suppliers generate what they call public value. So the largest procurement bodies are insisting on this. And the reason they're insisting on this is because they know that this is how they can contribute positively to society going forward, but also because this changes us as a, as, as a society. Who we become are people who are involved with our societies and are interested in our societies rather than just ourselves. So to win contracts now, you need to understand how you generate social value and to what extent. And each time you must be additional about it. You must continue to do it. So right now it's we're seeing it within government, but it is also now extending into private, uh, private practice, in private sector. So we'll see more and more of it, and it becomes an important thing for us to grow our businesses. And definitely, I think for people who are listening, they're like, "Oh well, I'm, you know, we're a private limited company selling to commercial organisations." You know, actually, that incoming reporting requirement for limited companies and in the Companies Act also means you've got to do those same things in terms of showing how, as directors, you've given due consideration to those stakeholders. So it is, it is becoming very much universal in the structure. And again, it's interesting that this is both top down and bottom up. And again, coming back round to engagement, when you do these things in the right way, you transform your relationship with your employees as well, because for a lot of them, this is what they want to be involved in. They don't just want to show up and collect a paycheck. I mean, they definitely want to do that. Um, but they want to contribute to an organisation that is is making a you know, positive difference in the society that they are part of. Um, yeah. And that means taking that that broader view of how do we how do we impact that society that we're operating within? Yeah, and I've been very pleasantly surprised. Um, every fortnight or so, I meet potential new members to our organisation, Social Value UK. And as we have conversations, what you're saying, Benjamin, about employees and what they want for themselves is becoming really clear. They want to live in a different society to what we have been living in. They want to work for organizations that care about the environment, that care about well-being. Because when organizations do that, it means that they care about them so they can actually enjoy and be part of that organization. Initially, we thought, oh, it's just a few people in the organizations like that. But what we've noticed is that when those, what we thought were just a few people, join, very quickly it becomes something that the organization starts adopting. So now within organizations, we're finding new types of um, uh, uh, roles being generated. And these roles are incorporating the idea of social value and environment and so on. So staff are really interested in this because of their own um, their reasons. And organizations are beginning to embrace this because they realize that this is what staff want and this is how as an organization we can move forward. So I'm seeing a lot of that and different people from people who might be, a, you know, someone who might be a director to somebody who's just joined the organization as a trainee. They're all talking about the same thing. How can our organization create better value for society? It's interesting to link back to culture and, and culture oftentimes is an output measurement. It's a thing that's observed and people always say, well, how, how do we change our culture? 
while you change your culture by doing things and by shifting behaviors. And it's interesting in adopting something in a systematic way, like social value, you are embedding in some very explicit values on this is how we treat people. This is the consideration we make about how we make decisions. And whilst it might start in this dimension, that becomes something that spreads across the culture in terms of how employees treat each other, how employees treat customers, how employees treat suppliers, because it's become, this is how we do things here. We understand who's impacted by what I'm about to do. Have I taken that into consideration? Can I make this a better thing? And again, for us, it's, it's been interesting embedding that into our framework of looking at each decision. And is there a way that we can tweak this, that it has a more positive impact? And so often there is. It's just historically that would be something you would rush past because that wasn't explicitly there as a frame. Whereas now it's like, let's pause, let's look, and let's go and do. And in doing that, you you shift the culture because that becomes the way that we do things around here. And as new people join, they pick up the this is how we do things around here. Absolutely, yeah. And and I think you know with the approach where we involve stakeholders, which could be staff, you're saying. You are important. You are first. As you said, the leaders speak last. You are first. Let's hear what you have to say, and we will shape our strategies based on the input that, that you make. So there's more ownership of the organization. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm part of this organization. I'm part of this idea. We've known this all along, and we often do it. But what has tended to happen in the past is that we kind of like socialize our own ideas. We have an idea and say, um, I'm going to take the organization in this direction. and then. We've made that decision, then we go to the organization and we kind of socialize it and get everybody to to buy in. That can be very different to going first to the stakeholders and understanding from them, then putting that together. Then you can take it back and say, well, this is what I discussed with you. And now I'm trying to sell it to you because I've now framed it in a way, it just may be in a certain way, but this is what you said. And it is, it is that thing of embedding the change you want in the philosophy of the people that you're leading and so often i think leaders can get caught up in management speak and you know they they say things and i i look at that from a lexical point of view like put it through a bit of ai it's like we have no idea what you said there there's loads of great words there but we've crossed out the ones we don't understand so that that going out um to those people impacted also just takes that away because things are framed in their their language with a genuine understanding that people can understand oh okay i get what they're saying now um yeah <laughs> and i think one thing that's important about this culture change is actually there is a, a change going on generally in the world like i said at the beginning the idea of corporate social responsibility which has taken us some distance is changing it is, as I said at the beginning, no longer about what the organization thinks it is doing or should be doing for the community, but what the community needs that becomes more important. So rather than it be you know, a project to say, oh, we're going to spend two million supporting that, you've got to start by going to that, to the we, and saying, what is it that you really need and how does this change your life or impact you? Understanding that there'll be some good stuff that you do out of that and there'll also be some bad stuff that you do. So understanding that balance of the good and the bad and reporting transparently and making decisions based on that is more useful than just making an outright decision to say, I'm just going to go and make a change or a contribution to that cause. Oh, there's so many more things to explore here. And I am 
conscious of our time so we are going to include in the show notes um uh, some links to some of the resources and social value uk so that people can explore that and some of the other things that we've talked about in terms of leadership i nearly always when i remember wrap these uh podcasts up with one extra question which is this i'll give you the question and i'll, I'll buy some time for you because i'm kind like that which is what one question have I not asked you that you really wish, I really wish Benjamin had asked me that thing? I'm going to let you think on that one for a second. Um, so it's a series of podcasts and uh, in the outro, we'll give you um, some information on how you can come find us. We're always delighted to hear from listeners of the podcast. So do send in your questions, come find us on LinkedIn or on uh, the, the website and we'll continue to explore a range of topics. But for now, Chris, Final question, what would it be? It would probably be linking social value to families and specifically in our own families, how we work and deliver value to each other. Because whilst we've talked about organizations, our behaviors in organizations is informed by how we live the rest of our lives. So if you had asked me, what does social value mean within the family setting? That would have taken the conversation in a very different, maybe a personal direction, because I'm a father, I've got two daughters, and I've got a large family. And we believe that we are creating good and bad social value in that. So I think that's the one. Uh, well, I'm very glad to hear that because certainly that's something that is very near and dear to our hearts here. Because when we were looking at this, like, what's the biggest impact that we can have as an employer? And that's the one that, you know, this this is a, a set of stakeholders that we directly impact every single day. Um, so I like that. And that's a great note to leave you on. Thank you so much for joining us today, Crispin. It's been a pleasure to talk with you and explore these topics. Thank you very much, Benjamin, for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Together, a podcast brought to you by Social Optic. If you aren't already subscribed, then search for Social Optic Work Together on your favorite podcast service. And if you found it helpful, then don't forget to help others find the podcast by giving it a rating, leaving a review, and telling others about the show. You can find more from Social Optic on our website, socialoptic.com, where we also post blogs exploring more of the themes we discuss in the podcasts. You can also get in touch through the chat function there, or drop us an email, or give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. This podcast was hosted by Benjamin Ellis and produced by me, Chris Trim. Be sure to catch our next episode, where we'll be joined by Simon Bird, Director of the Innovation and Creativity Lab, discussing the topic of creative thinking in business. See you there.